Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. We have gone through uh, the whole book of John. This is the last little bit. And we have gone through the death of Jesus. And last week we looked a bit at the resurrection where Mary uh, Magdalene uh, comes to the tomb and she doesn't find him there. The stone was rolled away. She had no expectation. We talked about last week of uh, the stone actually being rolled away, but it was. And she's convinced that somebody has stolen his body. She's not thinking resurrection. She's not thinking, oh, it's the third day. He said this was going to happen. She's looking for, in fact, she sees the gardener. And she says, um, where have you taken him? But it wasn't the gardener. It was who? Jesus. And so she is uh, perplexed that Jesus isn't still dead in the tomb. In fact, she runs all the way back to the disciples and says, they've taken his body. And they come running and they look and he's not there. And so what we tried to take a look at last week in this first part of the resurrection was the emphasis that it's not simply the death of Jesus that's the gospel. The death of Jesus is, is, is paramount. I mean, it's, it's, it's critical. It's a prerequisite. But the death of Jesus eliminated the sin of the world, eradicated, took it away, as John the, the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But there was a purpose. There was a, so, a, a, a therefore or a so that coming. The sin of the world was removed so that something else could happen. And that so that is the piece that we in Christianity today are still sort of blinded to. In fact, you can't really experience the so that until you really believe that the death of Jesus actually took away the sin of the world. There's no way for us to experience the so that, which we'll get to the so that a little bit more here today, We can't really thrive and live in the so that when we're always concerned about did Jesus really take away my sins? Is God still holding sins against me? And if I I would hope that if someone could kind of summarize the teaching out of Life Journey Church, it would be, um, man, there's such an emphasis on the complete and total forgiveness of sins. And why is there such a complete and uh, such an emphasis on the complete and total forgiveness of sins? So that, so that what? So that we can actually grow to realize that the very life of God himself now lives in us, with us, joined to us. But the devil's uh, blinders, his, his, the hidden, what he's trying to hide from the church today is how can you really experience the life of Christ within? How can you really live with Christ now in you in an intimacy and a oneness if he's still holding your sins against you? Look at what you just did. Look at what you've now got to get cleaned up from, etc. And so 
I can't enjoy the life of Christ in me because, man, look at what he must think of me. Look at what he must uh, 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 think about me. And so we keep seeing ourselves in our sins. And the reality is he holds our sins against us no more so that he can now live with us and in us and through us. And so the gospel we talked about last week is not just the forgiveness of sins. That's the, the, the prerequisite. That's the, that had to happen in order for something else to happen. And that was the restoration of life, the very life of God, the life of the spirit now in us. We look back at Adam and Eve a little bit. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they died. God said, in the day in which you eat, you shall surely die. So Adam and Eve didn't just need forgiveness. They needed life restored to them. And so God couldn't restore life to humanity without first what? Taking away the sins. Because sin and God cannot coexist, cohabitate in the same place. And so as Mary Magdalene, as she comes back to the tomb, the disciples, John and James, John and uh, Peter come, they run in, they look at the stuff and they run back to wherever they were kind of uh, camped out, hiding out at. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came after seeing the Lord, after seeing him as the gardener, as she thought it was the gardener. And she's in the gar- And Jesus says, Mary. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he says, stop clinging to me. Go and tell them. She, verse 18, chapter 20, came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things and that he said these things to her. And so uh, really quick, and this is not the point of the message. I just kind of want to maybe take a little side note. Uh, There's been, if you've seen it on on social media this week, there's been a lot of um, division in the body of Christ over some comments that um, John MacArthur recently said. I don't know if you saw it or not. If you did, great. If you didn't, but basically he, he made some pretty disparaging comments about a, a, uh, a, f- a female, females being able to proclaim the gospel. And um, I think for me, and, and maybe we're divided on this, but uh, I'm not trying to divide. I'm just trying to make a simple point is that if it wasn't for a female coming and announcing, this word announcing literally is uh, 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 proclaiming a message. If this female didn't come and proclaim a message to the disciples that she had seen the Lord, the disciples would not have learned that the Lord had been risen. And so I personally, and we could debate this at another time, I just want to speak about, you know, what's happened in our Christian culture this week. I personally could care less the gender of an individual and I do think, though, there are only two genders. That's another story for another time. Um, but uh, I could personally care less about the gender of an individual proclaiming the gospel. For me, personally, I'm much more concerned about the content of that gospel that is coming forth. Does that make sense? If someone is proclaiming a mixed message about Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus obedience to rules, laws, and regulations, I don't care what gender they are, I'm turning it off. They could be male, female, whatever. I'm not listening to it because it's not the true gospel. I'm much more interested in the content of what's being proclaimed than the reproductive parts that the individual has. And so when in our 
kind of more liberal culture here in the Charlottesville Albemarle community, you know, that's something that, 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 you know, early on, especially people wanted to pin you down on, what do you believe in women, preachers, all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, I could care less about the gender. I want to know what's being proclaimed. Now, we might differ on that, and that's okay. We're still friends, uh, but I am I, I'm just not interested in, in the, the gender. I'm interested in the content of what is actually being proclaimed. If a female is proclaiming the finished work of Christ, I'll listen to it, and I'll rejoice in what's being proclaimed about the Christ. If a male is pro- pronouncing a mixed message of Jesus plus obedience, repentance, etc., in order to be right with the Lord, I'm not going to listen to it. I, could, I, I don't have an ear for that. But I've turned the page on that. that. That season of my life is over with, and nobody will ever... In fact, I would say this. If someone were to say to me, Walt, you, you must believe Jesus, a male or a female were to say that, Walt, you must believe Jesus plus keeping the Ten Commandments is what makes you right with the Lord. Otherwise, you will die. I'll say, take me. Take me. Because it is not life. It is not life. The Ten Commandments, the, the ministry written on, the, the, the ministry of condemnation engraved in letters on stone were meant to kill not to bring life. And so, again, just a quick comment. It has nothing to do with John necessarily, but it's something that's pretty heavy in our Christian culture right now. I could care less about the gender. I want to know what the content being proclaimed is. Now, that also means that there's a lot of female preachers that I won't listen to because they preach a mixed message, right? But again, it's not the gender that I determines my listenership. It's the content that determines it. So verse 19. Um, so it was evening when it was evening on that day. So it's the same day, the first day of the week. It was evening, the first day of the week. And when the doors were shut and in other translations, it says actually that they were locked, not just shut uh, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And so the very first announcement, the very first word from Jesus to the disciples, because he's spoken a little bit to Mary, but to the rest of the disciples, his very first pronouncement is this word of peace. I love the wisdom of the Lord. I know you do too, but this is one that we can't pass up. Does anybody remember? Oh, see, I always ask why. Why would he say, why would this be the first word out of his mouth after his resurrection? Peace. Well, what does this hearken back to? And that's a kind of a pun I didn't intend, hearken back to. What does this idea of peace hearken us back to? Go back to Luke chapter what? Luke chapter 2. When the angels were coming and they were uh, made the announcement to the shepherds that for unto us a child is born, right? And he announced the birth of the Messiah. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And in the rest of this, that, that passage in Luke 2. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And this is what they were saying. This was the announcement from the multitude of the heavenly angels about the Christ. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, here it is, peace among men or peace in two men with whom he is pleased. And so the very first birth announcement, if you will, about the Christ was that he was going to bring peace. Now, peace 
Between whom? Was it peace between man and man? Well, that certainly is a byproduct, or can be and should be a byproduct. Is it peace internal, like peace with yourself? Well, again, that certainly should be a byproduct of this peace, but I think the peace that the angels are announcing is peace between the, the holy God of heaven and sinful, depraved man on earth. Because of this babe who's wrapped now in swaddling clothes, the eternal God, having come as a human being in the form of a baby, this will bring now peace among men between God eternal and mankind himself. The very first birth announcement was peace, true peace. There was amnity. There was uh, enemy. We were enemies. John, uh, James said, James 4, I think, we were enemies with God. But upon his work on the cross, Jesus, in his resurrection, he says, peace be with you. So you have these bookmarks. You have the shepherds hearing the angels say this is going to bring peace. And 30 some odd years later, after the resurrection, not after the death, but after the resurrection, there is now the announcement of an availability now of what? Peace. Peace be with you. Um, let me get ahead of my notes. Uh, there's a couple other thoughts on this before we went. Uh, um, yeah, I'll skip that. Okay, so uh, let's think quickly before we go to the next verse. The next verse is uh, chapter, uh, verse 20. Think real quick back to the first day. So this is the first day of the week, right? The first day of the week, it was evening, and the, uh, the disciples were in, huddled in fear, and Jesus shows up in the middle of this fear, the first day of the week. This is the, if you think about it, this is the first day of the week of the new covenant because the new covenant was enacted at the death of Jesus. So this is the first day of the week of the new covenant. Go back with me to the very first day of, if you want to call it the old covenant, but the first day of creation, day number one, back in Genesis 2. Does anybody remember what the announcement the Lord made on the first day said, let there be what? Light. That's right. Let there be light. And it was, as the writer of Genesis says. So God on day one of creation said, let there be light. Now follow me here. And on that day, light burst forth through the darkness because the scripture says that the spirit of God hovered over the waters of the earth in the darkness. And so in this day, on day one of creation, back at the beginning of the old covenant, if you will, the announcement was, let there be light. And light burst forth through the darkness. There was an evening, there was a day, day one, Genesis chapter one. Now, what is God now doing here on the first day of this new creation? That was the first day of the old creation, the first creation, the creation of, 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 of the world. But now in this new covenant, there's a new creation that God is creating again. What does God do now here on the first day of the new creation? God has pierced through the darkness of sin and death with now a greater light, a bigger light, a fuller light, the very life of his very own son. Think of the, there could not be a darker of dark moment than three days after God himself clothed in flesh died. 
The reason why the resurrection was on the third day, I have come to understand, is because in their culture, the death certificate, if you will, was not actually uh, authorized, legalized until three days of being dead. That's when they knew that the person was in fact dead and not just sick and, and you know, uh, uh, what's the word, um, in a coma or something along those lines. They didn't have EKGs or whatnot to like say, oh yeah, this person's dead. They didn't have brainwave activity monitors to say, okay, this person's dead. Today it's like, all right, time of death, you know, right after it happens. But they had a three-day sort of waiting period. And so if it took three days for them to legally declare someone dead, that was the time period to which Jesus waited to be raised from the dead so that there was no doubt that he was in fact dead. So could there be a darker of dark moments in all of human history than three days after God in the flesh died. And there is not a darker moment. It is the darkest of dark moments. And in this darkest of dark moments, God said, let there be now light. And this is now the light of the world that shone into the world for all the world to see, dispelling the darkness of sin and death with his radiant beam. In Genesis, we just looked at it, chapter one, it was the first day of the week when God said, let there be light. And it was so, and the darkness hid. Darkness hid. It, it had no chance. It could not stand against the brilliance of that light that God said, let there be. And now on the first day of the week of this new covenant, of this new creation, God has once again said, let there be light. And this is the light in its fullness that John 1, uh, Genesis 1 was, was a shadow of. It was pointing towards and just like the darkness then in Genesis, it didn't stand a chance. Back in Genesis 1, darkness had no choice but to dispel. In a greater way, even now, the darkness of sin and death stands no chance but to run off and hide under the brilliance of the light of the world, God himself in the person of Jesus Christ on full display. And this is exactly what we saw John back in chapter 1 foretell what happened. He says when he was giving his introduction back in John 1, 40 some weeks ago when we looked at this, the light shines in the darkness. Don't you think every single Jew who's reading this 2,000 years ago when they think about light shining in darkness, they're realizing they're going back to day one of creation. They know Genesis chapter one. And John is saying, no, it's a new light. It's a better light. It's God himself shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Comprehend is, an, is, is a meaning uh, in the original language, could not stand against it, could not compete with it. Pa Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he picks up on this as well, even more emphatically and beautifully. He says, for God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, going back to Genesis chapter one, light, let there be light. It is God who is the one who has shown in our hearts, the darkness of our hearts. He has shown this new life to give light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so you have on the first day of creation, God saying, let there be light. But now you have on the first day of a new creation, the fullness of what that all pointed towards, the light of Christ himself, the light of God himself piercing into the darkness and the darkness running away. 
And when he had said this, it's going back to John chapter 20. When he said this, when he said what? Peace. When this light of, of life came in and peace was now given between man and, 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 and God. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord, which we get, and it's coming up, we give Thomas a bad rap. We, he has a name, right? What, Thomas? Doubting Thomas. We give him a bad rap. Do you think that these other guys, so now we're down to like 10, I guess, these other disciples, do you think they were huddled in fear of the Jews in full expectancy that they're going to see Jesus again? Maybe, but I doubt it because it wasn't until he showed them his hands and his side that they, what, then rejoiced. So they were kind of doubting Peter, doubting John, doubting Bartholomew, doubting all the others as well. They just didn't get the, uh, the label. But it wasn't until they saw the hands that they truly rejoiced that they had seen the Lord. Now, granted, earlier in the chapter last week, when they saw the tomb empty, they were celebrating. There was a celebration, but there's something here that they, they didn't maybe fully rejoice. They didn't really come to grips with the resurrection until they actually saw the Lord. And he emphasized that by saying when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again. So not only was this Jesus's first message to them after being raised from the dead, but he says it twice. Peace be with you. Don't you think maybe that Jesus is really wanting them to understand what has happened between them and God? That there's now peace. There is no more hostility. There is nothing that stands in the way between you and God any longer. Peace. As the Father sent me, now I also send you. Now look at verse 22 and 23. There's some head scratchers here in the midst of this glorious resurrection moment. And when he had said this, peace, as the Father sends me, I send you. He breathed on them, which we're not going to we have time to really get into the depth of, of that, and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. All right. So what in the world is Jesus saying? My notes here, I just have, do what? <laughs> Come again? Uh, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they'll be forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they will have been retained. Is Jesus telling these disciples that they now have the power to forgive sins and to not forgive sins? I mean, doesn't that, isn't that what it sounds like if, just reading this? If you didn't have anything else, if you had any other letter, if you had any other thing, you just had this one verse. Doesn't that sort of sound what he's telling them? That as the Father sent me, I'm now sending you. If you receive, receive the Spirit, now from here forth, here's your, here's your empowerment. If you forgive somebody of their sins, then they're going to be forgiven of their sins. If you don't forgive them, then they're not going to be forgiven. Is that... Is Jesus giving them 
the power and the authority to, if you will, pick and choose whose sins are going to be forgiven. Because again, on face value, that certainly is what it looks like to me. This is a confusing passage in the midst of this really awesome resurrection passage. And so what do we do typically when we come across confusing texts like this? We just what? (laughs) We just skip right over it and run to the next. But don't you think this is kind of important that we not skip right over? Right? I mean, this is kind of important. I mean, he's telling these disciples that it sounds like on the surface that they now have, they possess the authority and the power to either forgive someone their sins or to not forgive them their sins. And it sounds like on the surface that heaven is going to recognize their decision. So I think it's too important for us to skip over because if, well, let me get, I have three options. I, I see three options of how we can interpret this. I'm going to give you what I think. My option that I think is, the right, is one of them is, is one of these options. It's option number three. We'll get to it. But don't, again, this is one of those things, as with anything, don't just simply take my word for this. Pursue it yourself. Examine the scriptures yourself. Don't just say, oh, well, this is what Walt said. By no means do that. In fact, I, I uh, what is that the word, reprimand? I, I, I discourage you from doing that. Like, don't do that. Don't ever take anything I say as simple face value. Judge for yourself. The Spirit of God lives in you. Let Him teach you. Let Him reveal stuff to you. And so, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Option one. There's three options that I see. Maybe there's more. Option one. Option one is what it looks like just simply on face value. It looks like God is giving the disciples the authority to pick and choose whose sins are going to be forgiven and whose sins are going to be retained. I mean, because that's simply what, I mean, that's on face value what it looks like. So that's option number one. The disciples now, after the resurrection, they're walking through Jerusalem and they're able to kind of do the duck, duck, goose game, you know, the any, many, many, mo game of whose sins are going to be forgiven and whose sins are not going to be forgiven. Now, if I possess that power, oh, let me put it this way. If David possessed that power to forgive sins and to not, you know, choose, pick and choose, who do you think I'm going to try to make sure I'm best friends with? Yeah, you better believe it. Absolutely. And uh, David will, no offense, probably take advantage of that, you know, because I know David. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and so, so, so is that what's going on? If you've read any of the New Testament letters, you know that that's not how the apostles themselves understood this to be. I mean, he's talking to the disciples who become apostles, and that's not at all how they write. They, none of them write, I, John, I, Peter, I, James, which it's a different James that writes James, but none of them say, I have the power to forgive sins and to not forgive sins. So none of them took it that way. In fact, Peter, very plainly in 2 Peter chapter 1, makes it super, super clear that all of our sins have been forgiven. Second Peter chapter one, read it for yourself. John, the same writer here, makes it crystal clear in his letter, 1 John chapter two, verse 12, that all of our sins have been forgiven for his namesake. So again, I know I say this a lot when we quote that verse, but if God is gonna do something for his own name's sake, how thoroughly is he gonna do it? You all right? I mean, come on. 
So uh, I said, James, uh, uh, Paul. Now, Paul's not sitting in this room. He, was, he calls himself an apostle born after the fact. He was kind of late to the table, but he was anoint, uh, uh, chosen by God uh, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul clearly didn't see his commission as one who is authorized to forgive sins and to not forgive sins. And that's how heaven is going to forgive or not forgive sins. Clearly didn't see it that way. Colossians chapter 2, um, uh, uh, the entire book of Galatians, uh, Romans, I mean, all of his letters. Gosh, we just pick any of them. And he's going to emphasize that our sins have, whoever wrote Hebrews... I mean, you cannot convince the writer of Hebrews that the apostles had the ability to forgive sins and to unforgive sins. No way. Because Hebrews chapter 10, so crystal, without the shedding of blood, there's no, that's Hebrews 9, but there, there's no forgiveness of sins. So if it's option one, meaning that this simply means that disciple Craig, one of the 10, has the ability to walk through Jerusalem and forgive people's sins as he so chose. None of them, when Craig wrote his gospel, wrote his letter, wrote his letter to a church, he certainly didn't put any of that, mention any of that. He said something totally to the contrary, which sounds kind of odd if that's the way it works. Option number two, some people think that Jesus is saying that the mission of the disciples is to proclaim the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, I, I agree with that. And if people receive Jesus, they receive the truth, then their sins are forgiven. But if they don't believe the gospel, then their sins remain. So they would say, you, you go. As the Father sends me, I'm sending you. You go and proclaim me. And if you see them believing me, then look, their sins are going to be forgiven. Their sins are forgiven as they believe. But if they, in your presentation of the, of the gospel, if they don't believe, then their sins have been retained. I do think that the mission was to go and proclaim the death, the burial, and resurrection. But is that true? Are sins forgiven a person at the moment in which they believe Jesus? And I just have come to believe, don't take my word for it, please. I've just come to believe that that's not how the scriptures teach the forgiveness of sins. I believe the scripture is clear that all sin for all people for all time have been forgiven once and for all on the work, by the work of Jesus on the cross. Remember, salvation, and, and, and the, the pushback that I get, especially amongst my Reformed friends, is, oh, so you are, you're a universalist. You believe that everybody's saved if everybody's sins are forgiven. To which I just simply remind them of Paul's teaching, like Romans 5, for example, where he says that it is through, through the death of Jesus that we've been reconciled to God, but we have been saved by his what? Starts with an L, ends with an I. Life. life. Salvation comes by the receiving of his life, which, which comes by faith. And so the fact that all sin for all time for all people is forgiven by Jesus in his one work on the cross doesn't save anybody in and of itself. There must be a reception of life by faith. And so while I think option two is closer, it's better, I still don't think it's right on. So here's my option three. I, I, I tend to believe that what makes the most sense, based on what the apostles wrote later especially, is that disciples, these ten, because, you know, uh, Thomas wasn't there and Judas already hung himself, 
that these disciples and even subsequent Christ followers, including ourselves, if as we, if we forgive others, follow me now, for what they've done to us, and I hear Jesus saying, as I have, if you disciples forgive others for what they've done to you as I've forgiven them, then in your forgiveness of what they've done to you, then they will get a glimpse of what I've done to them to help them believe the truth. As you forgive them for what they've done to you, they will get a glimpse of what I've done to them and they will believe. However, if you don't forgive for what they've done to you, and trust me, the disciples are about to go through some major opportunity for people to sin against them. It's called the persecution. They're about to lose their life at the hands of a guy from, Saul, from Tarsus named Saul. He said, if you don't forgive them for what they've done, then they're not going to see what I've done for them. And they may, in fact, not believe. Your forgiveness of others will help them see my complete and total forgiveness of them. However, if you still hold their sins against them, they're going to assume that I'm doing the same thing and they're going to think that their sins have been retained. Your forgiveness on a practical man-to-man level your forgiveness of those who wrong you is going to help them see the truth of my forgiveness. But if you don't forgive, then they're going to struggle to see the forgiveness that I've offered them. And I think that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Look at this, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. So he has forgiven you. The forgiveness is a done deal. Now you forgive others as he has forgiven you. Here's a pop quiz, Bible trivia. If you get this one right, man, you get the extra star for today. Does anybody know what the hot topic was just two verses before Ephesians 4.32? The grieving of the what? Holy Spirit. See, we've taken this concept of grieving of the Holy Spirit to say if we sin too much, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're making him mad. The context of grieving the Holy Spirit, according to Paul in Ephesians 4, the context is when we don't speak and live the grace of God with each other. And the core tenet of the grace of God is forgiving one another, forgiveness. So we actually grieve the Holy Spirit, make him sad when we do not extend forgiveness to each other as it has already been extended to us. Now he's not going to hold our sins against us. He's already has forgiven you. But what grieves, what saddens the Holy Spirit is that means that we not only aren't understanding the grace of God because we're holding someone else's sins when we've been totally forgiven, but it makes him sad also because that individual is not getting a further taste of the true gospel because we're chosen to hold their sins against them. So to not forgive is to sadden. That's what grieve means to sadden the spirit of God, because it means you don't see your own forgiveness. And it means that the person you're holding sins against is going to struggle to see God's forgiveness. And what I mean by that is, again, we've been using David this morning. We use him some more. I appreciate it, David. Let's say that David wrongs me. Okay. 
he's wronged me, he's done something dirty to me, whatever, he's wronged me. And I now have a bitter, embittered spirit and I refuse to forgive him. And David's not a believer, by the way. And I am. I make a big deal about him. I wear, you know, a WWJD t-shirt, you know, I've got the little, I guess it's a wristband, not a t-shirt, but whatever. I've got the little fish on my truck and, and, and I'm holding this, I'm, I'm spreading uh, what would it be called? It would be lied, like slander. Like I'm, 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 I'm blaspheming his name on Twitter. You know, I don't really do Twitter, but you know, whatever. And so I'm, I'm clearly, he, he's feeling it. He's feeling this bitterness. If he or were to begin to, to, to have a softening of his hard heart towards the things of the Lord, a very real response that he could have towards my embitterment, bitterness towards him is how can God forgive me of what I've done to him when Walt won't even forgive me for what I've done to him? See that? And so by our forgiving others, we're actually exposing the very grace of God that has transformed our lives. And so what I hear the Lord saying, and again, this is option three. There's probably 1,700 options. We don't have time for all of them. This is just what I'm sharing with you is that Jesus is clearly saying, as I have been sent from God, I'm now sending you in peace. You have peace with God, this peace that surpasses understanding. You can't make sense of it. It's a peace that he has offered you. Now receive the Holy Spirit and go under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and forgive what people are going to do to you because they're going to get a glimpse further of what I have forgiven them of. But if you harbor anger and pain and bitterness towards them, they're going to feel as though they're going to live as though their sins still remain upon them. And so as believers, to me, one of the most imperative things that we can do, not out of a duty, but out of a joy of what's done to us as we examine our total forgiveness of sins is to not hold each other's sins against them. Now, does that mean that we put ourselves in a position to get hurt by them, to get abused by them, to get, you know, harmed by them? No, but that doesn't mean that we can't release them from what they owe us. So a Thomas one of the 12, also called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. He missed out. He was at a three-on-three tournament or something. He, he just was not there. So the other disciples were saying to him, I mean, can you imagine like coming in? Maybe he was out fishing. You know, he comes in. He's like, got this cool story. Like, man, I got this awesome fishing story, you know. And the other nine, what was it now? Nine? Ten. Whatever it is. The disciple, they're like, you miss Jesus. Like he's expecting to tell them a cool fishing story. And, and they tell him that Jesus had come. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas uh, said to them, unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now the, the other disciples don't like, at least in the scriptures, they don't, um, rag him about this they're not like oh thomas if you do that man don't do that you're going to get this like nomenclature you're going to get this name you're going to be like doubting thomas they're going to call you down like because i think they just did that in my opinion and so for thomas and maybe for the others but we'll pick on thomas seeing equals what 
believing. For Thomas, unless I see it, I know you guys saw it, but unless I see it, I will not believe it. Let's keep that in mind. Verse 26. Now, after the, the NASB, New American Standard, says eight days, other translations just simply say after a week. So it seems to me this is the first day of the week again. Okay. Uh, his disciples were again inside. And this time Thomas was like, I'm not going fishing this Sunday. Uh, if Jesus does a Sunday service, you know, I, I'm going to be there. And Jesus came. Now, again, the doors having been shut and locked. It was the same situation. And Jesus stood in their midst. And what is his message? A third time. Peace. Because this is what he came to bring. Peace between man and God. Something that the old covenant law had no no ability to produce. If anything, the old covenant law produced a realization of just how unpeaceful their relationship was with God or they were with God. And he says, peace be with you. Then he says to Thomas, all right, so somebody spilled the beans. No, he's God. He knows it all. He says to Thomas, Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Gosh, I bet Thomas felt like an inch high to, what's it called? Knee high to a grasshopper. And Thomas answered him and said, so he changed his mind. He said, my Lord and my God, he repented. He changed his mind. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, this is cool. Because you have seen me, you have believed. I like the question mark there. Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. So my question as I'm reading this it is this. Is seeing believing? Is seeing believing? And I could be wrong here. Again, take your examine it yourself, but, but I would have to say no. Seeing is not believing. If you see something and you have firsthand eyewitness account of something, then I just don't think you're also exercising faith because you've seen it. You're not trusting. You're not exercising faith. You've seen it in its reality. Let me give you an example. And I thought long and hard about this one. If I were to tell you that I could do a backflip, standing still, let me make sure I got room here. I believe you will. You believe me? <laughs> All right, who was it that's saying I could believe I could fly, right? <laughs> um, if, if I were to tell you I can do a back, st from a standing still position, not like, you know, I'm in a car and I get into an accident and I like, flip over, you know, <laughs> like get ejected from the car. I'm not, right here, right now, I could do a backflip. What would you do? Not, not David. But what would you do? You would, you, you, you'd size me up, you do a little quick, you know, math, you know, <laughs> you would uh, do some, some quick math and a little bit of geometry and you'd be like, you know, you'd make your decision, whether yes or no. And if you were to say, I believe you can do it, or I believe you can't do it, whatever your decision would be, um, that's what you believe. But you haven't seen the reality. Now, what if I came out here from a standing position, I didn't ask you to believe something, and I just did a flip. You just got to trust me. I'm not going to uh, 
uh, humiliate others by, you know, doing it in front of you. Um, I did the flip. And then I were to ask you, Lois, do you believe that I could do a backflip? Ryan, I just did a flip. Do you believe that I could do a backflip? Yeah, right? I mean, like, there's no faith. Yeah. <laughs> there's no faith involved in that because you what? You saw it. Does that make sense? So Thomas is now, quote unquote, believing because he saw. See, I just, I don't, I, I would be so bold as to say seeing and believing are incompatible. They don't fit. They don't go together. Now, he was willing to set aside everything he knew about death and people dying because he's so staring facts in the face and he believed the Lord. So, I mean, obviously he believed the Lord. But what I'm saying is, is this the, is this the faith of, uh, that, bring, that the Lord is looking for that brings pleasure to him? Hebrews chapter what, 11, I think verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to what? Please the Lord. So we must believe, if Hebrews goes on to say, I think in back in chapter one, that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the, or, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, what? Seen. So I, I'm going out on a limb here and saying that believing and seeing are not compatible. And that's why I think he has this question mark. Because you have seen, you believe? That's not belief. That's not true faith. Blessed, happy, favor upon those who believe and they don't have visual reference. They don't see. Seeing then believing is not what pleases God. I'm a father of three kids. I want them to believe me, not because they see necessarily, but because they trust me, that they believe my heart, that they know that I am for them and not against them, that I wouldn't want harm to come their way. And so when we believe the gospel, when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he died and rose from the dead three days later, when we're believing that, we're not just simply trying to believe some unbelievable facts. We're believing the very heart of the God of the universe, that he's for us, that he loves us, that he has given himself to us. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't empirical data that supports faith. But salvation doesn't come by seeing. It comes by faith in what we cannot see. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that three things remain. These remain faith, hope, and what? Love. And then he goes on to say that the greatest of these is which? Faith, hope, or love? Which is the greatest? Love. Have you ever, and I encourage you to always do this, ask why? Why? Why is love greater than faith. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wouldn't you think that that would kind of take the number one priority of the greatness scale if we were to scale these things? Hope. I mean, hope in the resurrection, hope in the, in the work that Jesus has done. I think that's pretty important. Hope. Why love? Well, see, my understanding is of these three, faith, hope, and love, only one of them remains forever. And that's love. 
the love of God towards us remains forever. When everything one day for you and me fades to black in this world and our eyes are now open to the reality of another world that we've already been translated into Colossians chapter one, but we do not yet see fully. When we see fully what already is, there will be no more what? Faith. There will be no more hope. There is a sunset clause on faith and hope, but love remains forever. In fact, this love, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that this love keeps no records of wrongs. So if you believe that God is still keeping records of your wrongs, then you do not believe God's love. You do not believe that God is love and you do not believe that God loves you. He keeps no records of wrongs. So why is John telling all this? Why did John sit down, whether it was on the Isle of Patmos, as some believe in his late years, whenever it was, why did John sit down and write this thing we call the gospel of John? He tells us, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these that I have written, have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Believing you may have what? Say it with me. Believing you may have what? Life. He does not say that by believing you may have forgiveness in his name. Why not? Because the forgiveness of the sins of the world is a done deal. God is done counting sins. What remains? The impartation of life. L-I-F-E. And whose life is this? It's the life of God himself. As darkness fell upon humanity in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, that darkness wasn't just sin, it was sin and death. Death, the consequence of sin. Therefore, Adam, Eve, and all of their descendants, including you and me, we didn't just need our sins forgiven. That's, it. That's imperative. It must happen. But we needed something more than just sins forgiven. We needed life restored to us. And what life is this? It's the very life of God himself in us, with us. So God has forgiven all the sins of the world. And by believing, life is now in, uh, 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 restored to us, imputed into us, uh, given to us the life Whose life? And I know we talked about this last week, but it's the life of his own son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Life, this life, this eternal life, this everlasting life, it's God himself. It's Jesus himself now living in us. So do we have life? The whole point of this whole study, the whole point of this whole book, this whole point of this journey for almost 40 weeks is for this, that we would believe and by believing we have life, true life. Our journey marker as we, now there's still one more chapter. 
he talks about, and it's really, really cool. This is where he talks to Peter and he, he reinstates Peter. Cause remember Peter just denied him three times a couple days ago. And so we're gonna look at that next week and it's so cool. But this is sort of the, the majority of uh, culmination of this book. This is why I've written it, that you may believe, and by believing, you have life in his name. So the question is, so he's been talking about peace. He's announced peace. He said, peace is here. He said it three times to them. His first words out of his mouth when he saw them, peace, peace, and peace. Peace between you and God. So the journey marker simply is, do you know this peace? Now, if you're an unbeliever, either in this room or listening to the podcast, if you're an unbeliever in this room, then what needs to be known is that God has taken away the sin of the world. There is no more accounting of sins. The question is, do you believe him? Do you have his life? Are you infused with his very life eternal? And by believing you get to know and have this peace between you and him eternal forever. But as a believer, see, we can still struggle really knowing this peace as a believer. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We believe that he's the son of God. We believe that he's died on the cross. We believe that he rose from the dead. We believe we're believers. We're not just seers, then believers. We're not like Thomas, but we actually, we believe but we struggle to really know, like experientially, like a husband knows his wife, we struggle to know the peace that God has actually brought to us because we continue to wrestle in these bodies with sin that lives in the flesh and we still mess up, we still screw up. And the accuser of the brethren, his name is Satan, Lucifer himself, is ready and willing to bring those accusations. Uh, Revelation says, the accuser of the brethren accusing us day and night, he is ready to bring the accusations. And it's so easy for us to believe the accusation as opposed to believing the peace that surpasses all understanding. So we cannot have and experience this peace with God if we believe that he's still holding our sins against us. It's incompatible. We cannot proclaim this peace with others if we still believe, again, that, his, that our sins are still being held against us in some sort of way. If we don't believe that God's forgiven us of all of our sins, then how can we proclaim this peace? We could proclaim something else, but that's why Paul calls it another gospel, something other than what I originally preached to you when he was talking to the Galatians. And so... What I hear John in this sort of culmination, this final section of his letter, is I've written all this to you that you may know, that you may believe, that you may have this life, and the thing that this life brings more than anything else, and with everything else, it brings a peace between you and the Father. Now, Paul explains it better and further in his letters, when he explains that we've actually died with Christ. And so, so we're not the old us sort of made better. And, and Jesus is sort of a stopgap between us and the father. And if the father really had his way, he would just strike us dead still. But Jesus is sort of like an umbrella covering us. Like that's not Christianity at all. Paul explains that further. But what Paul, but John is getting in is there's a peace now that the old covenant, that Judaism, that religion could never offer, it never promised, it never promised. The old covenant never promised the ability to know your God. 
If anything, the old covenant promised the ability to drift further and further away from your God because of the realization of just how sinful you are. But now the Messiah has come and he has done what the angels promised would happen, bring peace to men. Do we really know this peace? Are we willing to believe without seeing what God really has done through this Christ Jesus? Because I believe as we believe it, as we believe it more, as we believe it further, as we understand greater what he's actually done, there's a transformation that happens. This reality of a new heart within slowly over time as our minds are renewed to the truth, it begins. You can't help. It's an explosion. It is the light of the world bursting forth into this darkness day in and day out, not by effort, not by, by energy, but by a simple revelation of his love towards us. So we have one more chapter to go in this uh, book. We'll stab, take a stab at that some next week. But any thoughts or questions or comments or uh, deletions or recommendations or other options than the one, two, and three that I gave you earlier for the passage? Do you want to talk about, share about, comment on before we take off? Yeah. I think that um, your biggest thing you, you could have added to seeing is there's a difference between seeing and believing and it's knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's the knowledge that I've touched it, that I've felt it, that I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Whereas believing is uh, entirely on faith. So mm -hmm. knowledge is like based in the material world, the man world. Yeah. And belief is 100% in what you can't experience with without God. Yeah. What your heart says. Yeah. No, that's, a good, that's a good point. Come to you through faith, it's through your heart. What yeah. you through knowledge. Right. Yeah. Wrong filter. Yeah. Right. And that's good. Right on. Yeah, good work. We learn that the mind of Christ is in our heart. Mm-hmm. It's not an upper Yeah. It's our heart. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, suspend this. Yeah. To believe. Right. Right. So yeah. faith comes from within. It's His. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not our own. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about often the the uh, the distance of that eighteen inches. You know, there's a reality here. So I used to say. Oh, I know it here, but I got to get it down here. But it's it's the other. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Right. Yeah. Oh, and then good. they use the exact same yeah. words right. mm -hmm. to describe the heart, the mind, the soul, the emotion. Okay. It's the same. Yeah. So um, the Lord has taught us that our heart is, a, is our, it's not a battle. <coughs> you know, you've seen, heard that thing that it says the battle um, of the mind. Mm -hmm. It's the battle between the minds. Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. We actually have two. Right. We have a spiritual and a physical. Yeah. This physical is going to die. Yeah. 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 Amen. Amen. The war through the flesh and the spirit. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's just good. Yeah. Right. So the, when you're talking about them forgiving one another's sins, that section of it, would you then 
Did you make a connection with that in the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew? Because that's kind of that connection lit up in my mind mm-hmm. when you're talking about that. Do you think those are speaking of the same thing? Or would you yeah, know? I'd have to go in and look at it more in depth. But what I definitely think there's a connection to is where Paul, uh, Jesus says, what, uh, talking specifically to Peter, like in Mark. Eight, and I think there's another reference in Matthew where he says, whatever you, um, you know, the keys of heaven, you know, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. You know, I think there's definitely a connection there because think about it. If a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel is up here week in and week out saying God is holding your sins against you, God is holding your sins against you, then what is the um, what is being received by those people that God is holding their sins against them? And so the onus, if you will, or the, what the, uh, the result of that bad teaching is bad believing. And so now can the Spirit of God pierce through bad teaching? He can, and he does, and he has. But, but, but why have the bad teaching in the first place? So let's preach. I hear him saying simply preaching the truth of what has actually happened and, and, and living the truth, like by forgiving and whatnot. Then we're able to, the, the, the gospel itself now, that, that hard soil becomes soft soil, going back to like the the parable of the seed and the soils and whatnot, you know. So whether it's absolutely directly connected to, or I'm sure it's holistically, like in some way connected, because it's all, you know, the good news. But I'm not exactly, I'd have to go back and look. So you spoke about the transforming of our mind, the, the effectiveness of understanding the life in us and how it works out through our, through our life, our, our time on earth, our flesh. We, we want to receive the love and the forgiveness so that we can express that outwardly. We can't give out what we don't receive. Mm-hmm. So to me, his words to the disciples about if you forgive others, they will be forgiven. If you do, or withhold forgiveness, mm-hmm. it is withheld. He's speaking to know thyself. Mm-hmm. He's speaking to what you retain, it will be a roadblock for you mm-hmm. or a, a stumbling block for you if you don't yourself express it. I yeah. Think it yeah. Like, I think it's good. Like, this is what will be a problem for you in your own walk in mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. I think it's a lesson in that regard. Yeah. Then, for example, somebody could offend me. Somebody cuts me off on the road mm-hmm. and I get offended. When I forgive them, that's not for them. They never mm-hmm. knew they offended me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Right. I think that's the yeah. truth yeah. of it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, and did the disciples understand this? I don't think so at first, because you have Peter, for example, in Acts, is it still four, three or four? He's saying, repent and believe and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So Peter's actually preaching something different than Paul and and others preach later. He's preaching, repent and believe and get baptized in order to get your sins forgiven, which... Yeah, right. So it was, yeah, so it was a growth process, I think, even for them as they're coming to term that, that 18 inch gap, you know, as we talk about, they're coming to a better and better reality. Remember, the book of Acts is not, I don't think we should look at it as this is the recipe for, this is a description of what happened. And, um, and, and Peter later says something very different in Second Peter, where he talks about we sin because are we've forgotten that all of our sins have been forgiven. Um, not a, uh, as you repent and believe and get baptized, then your sins are forgiven. The root word for sin in Hebrew is unbelief. 
sin, I we don't believe. Right? It's a lost identity of who you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the root mm-hmm. in the language. So sinning is is just not knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. Not allowing yeah. it to affect you. That's why yeah. it's working in flesh. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Anything else? Any questions or thoughts or comments? I think or? One of the biggest things with forgiveness is forgiveness. Is people like people look at it as a validation, mm. but you're not. So, for example, mm. like if Carly and Zachary get in a fight, we teach them, like, uh, I accept your apology, but please don't do it again. We're not validating saying, you know, it's fine that you just smacked right. me. We're saying, I forgive you. And I think that's like the biggest thing. Like, um, like in my line of job, I work with kids all the time, and, you know, I hate to see a, a child harmed. And a lot of my coworkers were like, how can you show this mother or this father love even though they've just harmed their child? And it's like, well, it's not my place to judge them. And, you know, they're hurting as it is, and I can't just treat them terrible because they treated their child terribly or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I'm not validating saying, like, I forgive them, but I'm not validating saying it's okay for you to do this. It's your kind of like, getting rid of the tension between mm-hmm. you and another person. So yeah. like if something were to happen, you know, you are forgiving them, you're dropping the tensions, kind of like starting on a fresh slate, but mm-hmm. you still, you forgive them, but you're not validating saying, that's really great. With this. No, that's really great. Cause I mean that, I think that's a, taking it bigger. I think that's a, a reason why a lot of people don't believe in the absolute total forgiveness of sins from God. Because that means, well, then he must be okay with, you know, X, Y, or Z. No, forgiveness, that's a great point. Forgiving sins doesn't okay sins. In fact, I mean, whenever we think that God is okay with sinning, look at the cross. It was the death of his very own son that required the taking away of it. He's not winking at sin. He slayed his son because of sin. And, um, but that's a great point that it's not his forgiveness, total forgiveness of our sins doesn't therefore translate it's okay for us to sin it is a removal of it so that there can be something greater his life now within us his presence in us a union that didn't exist before by looking at somebody you're not saying what they do is okay it's you acknowledging they don't know who they are Mm. yeah they haven't got the benefit of the higher knowledge yeah 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 it's like flesh can't help itself yeah but it's like what Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. You know, there's a, an ignorance. And, and we play that role ourselves when we sin, when we stumble. Any other thoughts? Good stuff. Do you have something? Do you have something? I heard you. <laughs> Let's play it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we have uh, one more chapter. I'm excited uh, as we uh, get towards the end of, of this book. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, stand up and be closed with a word of prayer. If you want to um, help get our uh, chairs back in order and all that jazz, please feel free to. And um, I hope you guys have a great week. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come and to be um, encouraged, not by simply a speech or a talk, but by the truth of your gospel. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's not man's. This is your good news that was proclaimed from heaven. It it originated from your very heart, your very mind. If we were left to make up a gospel, it would not include what your gospel includes. We would have a work for, and that's what every religion is, a work for, a deserving, an earning 
But this is something totally against, outside, above the thoughts of man. Your ways are above our ways. And so, Father, we just simply receive it. We believe it. We accept it so that we can thrive in it, so that we can live now that life himself, you, abide within us. So, Father, we thank you. May we walk believing this week what we cannot see, but believing the truth of what you've done, what you've done for us, but more so than that, what you've done to us by taking us through your death and raising us to a whole new life, a whole new creation, joined together with you, one. Yes, we stumble in many ways, as James says, but that's not who we are. And as we see clearer who we are, we will walk as we are. So, Father, we thank you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.